Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Cafe, where master business coach Erica Ross Krieger and her special guests teach you how to create true entrepreneurial wealth from the inside out. Grab your favorite podcast beverage and get ready for the Entrepreneur's Cafe. Now here's your host, Erica Ross Krieger. Welcome to the cafe, my friends. Well, prepared to be inspired today. I've invited a guest whose quote on her website continues to fire me up every day. That quote is this, you have the power to shape the world through your work. Isn't that amazing? I love it. It's so inspirational. And my guest is even more inspirational. So let me introduce her. Pamela Slim is an author, community builder, consultant, and former corporate director of training and development at Barclays Global Investors. She focused her first decade in business on creating and delivering training programs for large companies such as HP, Charles Schwab, 3Com, Chevron, and Cisco Systems. Since 2005, Pam has advised thousands of entrepreneurs as well as companies serving small business market such as Infusionsoft, Progressive Insurance, and Prezi. Pam partnered with author Susan Kane to build and launch The Quiet Revolution and The Quiet Leadership Institute. Pamela Slim is best known for her book, Escape from Cubicle Nation, which was named the best small business and entrepreneur book of 2009 from 800 CEO Read, along with her follow-up book, Body of Work. Both were published by Penguin Portfolio. In 2016, Pam launched Main Street Learning Lab in Mesa, Arizona, a grassroots community-based think tank for small business economic acceleration. She is frequently quoted as a business expert in press, such as the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Business Week, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Information Week, Money Magazine, and Psychology Today. We are so blessed to have her with us today. So welcome to the Entrepreneur's Cafe, Pamela Slim. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Well, we have a lot to chat about. I have entrepreneurs in this cafe who love hearing good, solid information. And I know that one of the questions I have, because I have seen you like write it or mention it, and I'd love to ask you about it, is what's the empire model? And why is it problematic? <laughs> so having been in the business world for a while, like I know you have, I always find it really fascinating to look at ways that we use to describe what it is that we're doing. So there's a lot of enthusiasm. I know in the early days of Escape from Cubicle Nation for people to be excited to escape the man and to leave this big, heavy corporate culture and and talk about freedom and being your own boss and all these things that can be exciting as you're an entrepreneur. But I also noticed that when people begin to talk about it and grow their business, they literally use the, the metaphor of building an empire and talk about language as, you know, you're building an empire, you're attracting fans and followers we're crushing the competition, we're dominating the decade. And as somebody who's had a lens of social justice for the entire time, I think that I've probably cultivated that way within my house uh, growing up and then also has been a big part of my life personally and professionally, it seems a little bit strange 
to think about creating a business that with the purpose of dominating and crushing others. Because if we look at empire, <laughs> what right. has happened in many empires, it was super good for the person at the top of the empire and usually less good for other people around it. So part of my quest is, you know, having fun exploring things. People resonate with different concepts in different ways. I'm not suggesting that somebody who might say they love to crush it or build an empire necessarily <laughs> wants to dominate people. But I also like to think about metaphors that maybe are more representative of the kind of sustainable businesses that I like to support. Do you have some of those metaphors you can think off the top of your head that yeah, bit better? Well, for sure. So the the topic of my next book that I'm working on, and hopefully in a in a couple of weeks we'll find a good publishing home for it, is really thinking more in terms of the work that we do as business owners and also in community as being part of an ecosystem. So it's really being connected to, first of all, other people who also share a mission of supporting the work of the kinds of folks that we call our customers and clients, and that there really is a collaborative, interdependent, and hopefully sustainable kind of approach that we take when we're looking at ecosystems. So when you think of it, if you're to visualize something like an empire where there is somebody standing you know, at the top of a tall building, in an ecosystem, you have your ideal customer who's in the center of that ecosystem. And our job on the outside is to really recognize the kinds of partners and collaborative folks that we can work with, all with the desired effort to be helping to solve the problems of our ideal clients and customers. So in my own life, when I'm working with people to grow and scale their businesses, they also need lawyers and they need accountants, and they use software to run their business, and they love to attend live events, and they're interested in learning about cool podcasts. All of these are ways when the more that I know about good referrals and recommendations, it becomes much more of a collaborative effort. And I think from a marketing perspective, it also is much more of a one-to-many approach where you're looking to partner with people who have already built an audience that includes the kind of audience that you want to serve. I love that. So that really helps tie into the, my next question. Thank you. <laughs> um, and that is a lot of the people that come to the cafe have questions for me and want to know more about what are better ways they can market. So I guess my question for you is where do most of them fall down? It's, a, it's an awesome question because foundationally, there, there was a research study that I did with my partners, Susan Beyer and Chris Lee in 2017, along with a whole bunch of different influencers and partners. We, Susan Beyer is an audience segmentation specialist, and she focuses on what's called attitudinal segmentation. So why do we actually make the choices as consumers that we make? It's usually because there's a specific like thing that we're looking for, or there's a particular problem or challenge that we'd like to solve. And so what we were curious about is in the business ownership journey, what are business owner attitude toward obstacles? Because there's a huge piece if you've been around in entrepreneurship for very long at all, which is basically it's a continual process, sometimes every day waking up and finding a new problem that you need to solve. So it could be a problem that you're trying to solve for your clients or customers. Maybe your website goes down. Maybe there are bigger issues about helping business owners market in 2020, which is filled with just about every challenge that one can possibly imagine. So 
first of all, your attitude toward obstacles is a significant contributor to your success overall in business, the way that you see it, that particular attitude that you take. And in the research, we had three main segments. One of them we call the positive pragmatists, people who basically have a growth mindset. If people have read Carol Dweck's great book called Mindset, highly recommended if you haven't. But that basically says, you know what? Problems are part of the journey. I'm going to figure it out when I get there. I'm capable of doing it. I can learn. And the second attitudinal segment um, we call the self-blamers. So this is a challenging thing emotionally because these folks not only recognize that they have problems, but they think that it's all their fault that they have problems. So uh-huh. they may have cash flow issues and they're like, oh my gosh, it's my, you know, I don't know anything about business. Whereas if we look at the data, everybody has cash flow issues. That's part of being in business in the early stages. So if you have that attitude and that belief that every problem you encounter is due to some kind of fault that you have, obviously that would be challenging and it, it's going to make you less enthusiastic about approaching things. And then finally, there's the last segment, which are more fixed mindset folks. And they can say, you know what, you got it or you don't. So if you're successful, it means because you're just really good. And if you're not successful, you're just not good. You're not cut out. And you can see where for some people that could be helpful if they can zero in and focus on an area where they're good at, but you don't see that same kind of commitment to, they might give up a little bit earlier because they might just say, "Mm, I I guess I wasn't meant to be an entrepreneur as opposed to somebody with a growth mindset that really believes that problems are necessary and growth and development takes time. So part of it is I think maybe recognizing yourself of where you fall and making a plan to make sure your attitude is in as good a shape as it can be related to running your business. Because actually like 74% of respondents said that their attitude toward obstacles had significant impact in their success in business. The second piece is really around habits. And so marketing, you need to know the big picture of what it means to market your business, what your particular voice is, what are the different channels that work the best. And then it's a matter of really implementing these so that marketing becomes a habit. And the best, the the thing that I see a lot as a coach and I've experienced it personally as well, where we really look at marketing more as like a series of activities or these big tidal waves of activity, as opposed to something as boring as waking up and brushing your teeth and washing your face each day. We need to be developing marketing operations and we need to be looking at developing habits that allow us to be consistently planting seeds about our business all the time. And then as it grows, we need to make sure that we're investing in and that we have the capacity in our companies to continually market. I want to come back to that one a a little bit later. Um, You might have some ideas for how people can develop some of those habits, and I'd love to hear from you about that. Um, Right now, I'd like to ask you also, and some of it's my naivete about this, but what is the symbiosis marketing model? So this is a way that I look a lot within the ecosystem model where you look at people who like myself and my, my accountant, my dear friend, Kyle Durand, who's been a friend for a long time. I've worked with him on different projects in his business and he's helped me a lot at different times in, in my business, like working together with clients. So you could have this symbiosis that you see is something that happens in nature where there's this natural kind of collaborative partnership where anybody I'm working with, if they're developing 
in growing their business, especially through intellectual property or through partnerships, they need to have a lawyer that really understands how to create these partnerships effectively and to create legal agreements. So it's like, I can't fully help my client to execute what I'm helping them to do as a consultant if I don't have a symbiotic relationship with a partner like Kyle, who's my lawyer. So I also call them peanut butter and jellies. So when you're looking for people that have a natural complementary skill. So somebody who is a website designer probably naturally needs to have some peanut butter and jelly partners that are copywriters because everybody I've ever known that struggles to create a website often needs some help with somebody who's really good at copywriting. Or maybe they need to have a connection with a photographer who can take new headshots for the website. So part of it is looking for places in the ecosystem where in order for you to do your job, to support your client, to, to reach their end goal, who are the other people involved that offer complementary services? And then begin to get to know them, make sure they really are aligned with you in terms of value, service delivery, et cetera. And then you can really create some powerful referral networks. Fabulous. Any um, sneak peeks into your book? Anything that you want to share? Sure. Well, I'm kind of giving you a sneak peek now because really the the premise that I have of the book, the working title is called The Widest Net. And it really is a way to, it's really a, a whole like systematic way that you can think about how it is that you build an audience and you build this really rich and mutually beneficial market for your services. So it's for people who are writing books who need to find an audience or for business owners who really want to find customers. And it's based on many years, believe it or not, like 30 years of my work because my, my undergraduate degree in college was in international service and development. It was looking at non-formal education as a tool for social and economic change. And I was really fascinated of looking at ways in which communities were really organizing themselves and often through educational initiatives in order to have more power economically. And then with economic power comes the ability for people to take care of themselves and often have increased political power and, and rights and all of that. So that early kind of view that I had in that lens that I, I really like to look at building audience or building a business, not just from that individual perspective, but really what's the way that we can do so, so that we feel deeply connected with and aligned with the people who we're working with, with the partners who are also serving those folks. And I think this has just come out in, in so much of a stronger way than I've ever seen it, but it's really also in a relational way because there's so much that we see about business that's very transactional, the way that we talk about it. We just talk about, we need to get a bunch of people on our list. We just need to increase the numbers or we need to have more followers on social media. And it, I know in the publishing journey, those are, very important questions for publishers who are evaluating book deals and they're business people. So I can understand where they can make an assumption that the more people that you might have connected to you, the more books you would sell. Or like here on the podcast world, they say, how many downloads do you have? That's right. So, you know, I love measurement and metrics. That goes back to my training and development, you know, part of my work where it's good and it's important to look and make sure that we do have healthy growth in the connections we make. But what the connections actually are, are very important. How we go about 
connecting with people. And I know in my own experience that over the last 15 years since I started Escape from Cubicle Nation and this last, I've been in business 24 years, but first as a management consultant, and then I shifted to the entrepreneur market. And in these last number of years, when I look at who's on my mailing list or who am I connected to on social media, they're real people behind the numbers. When I've done book tours and when I've traveled in different projects I've done traveling around the country, I'm seeing and connecting with people who I really have built a relationship with. Now, of course, I can't build a relationship with every 39,000, you know, follower on Twitter or something like that, right? But given the opportunity, when we have interactions, when we do have in-person meetings and we're able to, to cross the digital divide, right, for the first time, we're building connections with real people. So I've been really attuned to it a lot more in the book marketing world, because when I think of what we can look at sometimes just for straight numbers, like I know too much, I've seen behind the scenes, it's very possible to either hire people just to get followers for you, right? Pay money essentially in order just to get a bunch of people on your mailing list, but they're not necessarily people that have a strong relational, emotional connection with you who would be not just willing, but delighted to be sharing the word when your book comes out. So that's part of my argument is like it, how we actually build connections is probably more important than just the number of connections that we have. And I will say in all the years that I've known or of you, and that was even back in the day when there were only 5,000 of us on Twitter, that there's one thing that I know in my heart you are an amazing example of doing that. Mm, I so appreciate that. Absolutely. I feel blessed that you're here with us in the cafe. I, I feel like there's heart behind and between what you say and what's on your site and what you put up on posts. That kind of net, that kind of connectivity, that you are a living example of that. So who better to write the book? I really appreciate it so much. It, and it it's funny sometimes, I don't always set out to know exactly what my own body of work is going to be to you know quote my, <laughs> my quote myself <laughs> in my last book. But yeah. you know, the body of work is, of course, not a term that I personally created, I happen to use it for the title of the book. But it's now in retrospect, when I see when I'm now writing this book, which has been five years of very serious, like, on the ground research that I've, I've done for it, starting in 2015, when I did a 23 city tour across the US, really testing early stage ideas for the book for the model of the book that was based on the prior 20 years of building communities online, in, in my work with Escape from Cubicle Nation, and then also doing work in person, like in the work I did in San Francisco for 11 years, when I was the volunteer executive director for a Capoeira group, Afro-Brazilian martial art group. And then for the last four years of the work we did at the Main Street Learning Lab, like there's been a lot of research around this book that is based on the core of, again, what my actual degree in college was about. <laughs> but in retrospect, when I see the really trilogy of books now, Escape from Cubicle Nation, helping people who are interested in just transitioning to full-time entrepreneurship, that was really that premise of that work is helping people to do it if they indeed wanted to do it and they wanted to do it in a sustainable way. It got you into entrepreneurship. 
body of work is really saying, now what are you building that is personally meaningful and also has a place in the world for making positive change and also has a place in the market for having a viable business? And then the latest book, The Widest Net, is really now that you know what that work is, how can you get it out in the world to as many people as possible or as many people as you want? So each book and each part of you know the work that I've done over the years has been very meaningful and significant. But I will say this this is my heart like work. There is heart in all of it, but like this is this is me. Like you said, this this is the main kind of connective tissue to everything that I think I've ever done and probably my core skills and strengths. So it's a little bit daunting. But it also is very exciting. I feel extremely, extremely strong about the importance of building a more connected, relational world. And I feel really prepared to do it. So I'm super excited to, to finally write the book after five years of working on it specifically. Working on the, you know, the research, the ideas, all that kind of stuff. And I am excited to read it. Let's go back to uh, what you were talking about with marketing. Uh, it, it seems hours ago it wasn't. And you were talking about habits. I'd love you to talk about something you might have coming up that people might be able to jump on. Yeah, well, probably you're talking about tiny marketing action. So this has been a really fun, actually example of a specific tool or an approach that really comes from the research in the book. And so as I was saying earlier, when you look at the way that we can more easily market our business, we can be making connections. One of the things I've learned with working with so many people over time is that it can be very overwhelming to think that you have to do everything like all at once or that you have a business and all of a sudden, you just imagine yourself like looking into your computer screen. <laughs> you may know that there are people who are perfect fit for you. You know, people are out there, but you just don't really know how to begin to make the connection. And so it's important to, to do it in such a way that's really based on a lot of research, like um, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, has some really great research and references in it that talk about how from a, a habit changing perspective, it's so important for us to get really, really small when we're making changes. You can think about it on a, a health side of just drinking another glass of water a day is an example. If you eventually really want to shift to maybe feel better or you know have some habits that make you feel good, starting in a little way with creating those healthy habits can be really important. So the same thing is true for marketing. And we've developed a whole approach which I call tiny marketing actions that helps you to take action, have little tiny marketing action recipes, little things that you can do each day in order to make connections and plant seeds with ideal clients. And it's an approach that starts small and starts with doing a couple little things like sending an email to a past client or sending a thoughtful note as you connect with somebody on LinkedIn, but then it really backs into your bigger marketing strategy. So I've worked with this method with clients for years and seen some really, really positive results. And then last, let's see, it's this last spring, myself and Rachel Kirsten, a partner of mine, we created a eight-week tiny marketing actions course, and then we're launching a brand new version of that starting on September 22nd. 
people might be listening to this after that, but for those that listen to it before, because this will be coming out the week before that, I'll make sure I include a link to some kind of a, a page that you have that describes it. That's perfect. Yeah, that's that's great. We could put it in the show notes, but yeah, it, it'll just be, if, if the class doesn't happen to be actively enrolling, it is the kind of thing I'm sure that we'll be doing again in the future. So you can definitely reach out and get some more information. I also have a free downloadable playbook that just gives you a couple of concrete suggestions. And so I can give you a link for that too, if folks are interested just to get some free resources. Yep. And then anyway, the best way for them to reach out to you, probably through your website. Just through my website's the best thing. Yep. Okay. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. And and anything else that you might want to give me for them to follow up with. That sounds great. So thank you so much for stopping by the cafe. If I were there, I believe in the old days, Pete's was your favorite coffee place or not? Yes, I still love Pete's. We, we only have Pete's in the airport here in the Phoenix metro area. So I'm waiting for more stores. <laughs> if I could, I'll, I'll send you a bag of coffee from Pete's. Any final tips you want to leave with us today, Pam, or shall we just wrap it here? Yeah, I guess probably the last thing to say is, you know, I, I really encourage people to, to, if you start to think about marketing really as ways that you can be building strong, fun, authentic relationships with people, it makes it a lot more fun. So there's a lot of angst and dread that we have about marketing. But when you can begin to recognize that little tiny steps you can take today will make a difference down the road, I think it can make the process less overwhelming and more enjoyable. So you're, you're, you're building relationships with real, live, interesting, creative humans. And even if they don't work with you immediately, believe me, sometime down the road, they'll be interested in working with you. Fabulous. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur's Cafe podcast. If you like the show, please rate, recommend, and review us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts so we can spread the positivity and the love of entrepreneuring from the inside out. Until next time, my friends, listen to your big entrepreneurial heart. Follow your passion, take that inspired action, and be boldly and brilliantly you. You can get more valuable advice and inspiration from Erica's free Entrepreneur's Toolkit over at ericarosscoach.com forward slash toolkit.